When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Sports by Northwest from the Oregonian and Oregon Live. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at the Oregonian, joined this week by my colleague, Joel Odom, sports editor of the Oregonian, Oregon Live. Joel, welcome to Sports by Northwest. Thanks for uh, hopping on and co-hosting. Thanks, Bill. This is going to be awesome. So this week we have a special guest, as we try to every week. This week we talked to Brooke Olzendam, sideline reporter and studio host for the Portland Trailblazers, who was at Media Day this week, as was I, and is in Santa Barbara with the team for training camp, which I am not, but we do have Aaron Fentress down there. Joel, I mean, there's a lot this week, a lot to touch on, and I just want to start by saying, like, I am in some ways still recovering from the college football weekend that we had locally, which was Oregon having this dramatic, you know, ridiculous comeback against Washington state on the Palouse. And then locally Oregon state hosts USC and has a lead, you know, going into the final minutes against SC at research at research stadium, uh, number seven Trojans, perhaps for the last time in Corvallis and, and the, and the Beavers lose a heartbreaker. That was quite the weekend. What did you make of it? I can't remember the last time where we had, you know, Two games that were as meaningful that both came down to, you know, the final minute of the game. I mean, I can't remember the last time that that happened. And and they were both, you know, I mean, one kind of turned into a shootout. The other is this low scoring defensive battle for most of the game. I mean, both of them were just, I felt like really compelling college football games. Yeah. And, um, that, you know, you, you sort of felt like, uh, well, the, the Ducks one was really a surprise. I mean, they, they had to, you know, score what was it? 22 points in three minutes to come back. Yeah. And, um, and the, the Beavers one uh, just kind of felt like it could go either way the whole time. Well, and the ducks game was interesting and I was listening to it on the radio, mostly driving down to Corvallis, but you got this sense of just, you know, cause the ducks have been sort of enigmatic this year, right? We have kind of the Georgia loss as, as sort of this like, reminder of of how bad it was at the beginning but everything since then has been really impressive the win against BYU and the Wazoo game felt like a little bit of a reality check for the Ducks and you've got Bo Nix throwing a pick six you know from you know essentially the goal line um and it sort of felt like a little bit of a crashing down to earth for the Oregon Ducks and then all of a sudden like they have this dramatic you know and I was able to watch the fourth this incredible fourth quarter comeback where you know Nix leads a great drive Ducks get the ball back. Then he throws a quick strike to Troy Franklin. Ducks are ahead. Defense gets a takeaway and and, and a, another touchdown. I mean, it was really sudden and really, um, you know, really dramatic. So, you know, for the Ducks, I mean, it was like, maybe they are that good. Um, that was kind of the takeaway. And what's interesting about the Ducks going forward is their schedule is really forgiving for basically like the next month. Um, they do have UCLA in late October, but I mean, they've got a run now of games that feel like wins where we're going to see the Ducks stack wins and probably keep climbing in the rankings, you know, as other teams fall out. So, you know, it's Stanford, it's Arizona, um, you know, they have chances here. And for the Beavers, I mean, they're going to Utah this weekend. I mean, the Beavers go from potentially being 4-0 and and maybe a top 18 team if they beat SC to, you know, a really, really tough Utah game where they could be 3-2. and uh, going into the rest of conference play, I don't. I, I, they just the the weekend really just changed the outlook for both those teams, for sure. And you know, one one thing on the Ducks game that I found really interesting: how often do you see a pick six, and then the team that threw the pick six to ice the game with its own pick six? I mean, that was that was amazing. 
the play completely reversed what we would have been talking about coming off that game. It completely nullified the conversation about Bo Nix's pick six and, and all of that. Like, oh, exactly. Flipped. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a completely different conversation coming off of it. And then, you know, to your point with Oregon state, you know, it, it's still a huge opportunity at Utah, but it's definitely, they, they are, they are, you know, potentially staring down three and two and, <laughs> They were on the cusp, you know, of that first ranking in in how many years? Like when you looked at the schedule, I think that you know most people would would take three and two through those first five games. You know, the the Boise State and Fresno State games were not gimmies, um, especially Fresno State. I think most people would have said if they're going to be three and two, that means they beat either Utah or USC. So they're in okay shape. But this is a team that has talked about, you know, wanting to contend for a conference championship. And it, the talk around Corvallis is sort of like, this is the Beavers year. This is the year they have the veteran depth. They have the the O-line. They have a, you know, multi-year starter at quarterback. They have a great secondary. You know, this is kind of the year for them to kind of, you know, capitalize on, on that experience and some of the knocks they've taken in recent years. And it just shows how hard it is to win a conference championship uh, just because, you know, especially the way their schedule aligned, you know, they're going to probably have to beat Utah and then probably would need to beat Washington on November, that first weekend in November at Washington, because the Huskies, you know, the Huskies have a, a, have probably the most favorable schedule in the conference because they don't play USC or Utah in the regular season. It's going to be tough for the Beavers to, to get to the PAC 12 title game. Uh, but you know, they, they showed me something against USC. They are a very good team. Very good team. And I think, we can learn something about them this weekend at Utah. I mean, they they I don't we have to remember that they were the only team to beat the Utes last year. Utah ends up ends up going to the Rose Bowl, beats Oregon twice. Um the Beavers were the only team that was able was able to, you know, beat that Kyle Whittingham team. So, you know, there is there is the thinking, well, you know, they did it last year, they could do it again, but then you also have to remember that in in Salt Lake City, that game has probably been circled on the calendar for about 12 months. So, there's going to be a lot of energy in um in Rice Eccles Stadium on Saturday morning when that game kicks off. Joel, let's then turn the attention to the hardwood for a moment and talk about the Blazers. Brooke joins us here in a few minutes um, for a conversation about what she's seen at training camp through the first couple of days down in Santa Barbara. But it's funny because when you're around a team at the beginning of the season, it's really, really easy to buy in to whatever the internal hype is or to see kind of the best version of what um, they expect the team to be. And so when Brooke joins us, you'll hear it. Like she's extremely high on this Blazers team. Um, really early on in our conversation, you'll hear her say that this is, that she thinks this is the year for the Blazers. I'm not that high on them. It's like to a, you know, contending in the West degree this year. But I do think that the Blazers have made some really smart moves and have put themselves in a position to contend in the relatively near future, at least within the Damian Lillard, you know, prime window that has been extended by his, you know, massive extension. What do you think is a reasonable expectation or what do you, what would you consider to be overachieving this year? I guess if we get to April and the Blazers are, you know, the X seed, you know, what would, what would be kind of your threshold for that was better than expected? When I looked through the schedule the other day, I kind of, you know, did the thing where you go game by game and try to look for the wins. And I, I felt like there are 47, 48 wins potentially for them. I think if they win 47 or 48, they've done well. So overachieving to me, if they're a 50 win team, I'm really not expecting that. I think that's overachieving. If they're a top four seed in the West, that's overachieving. But would I be shocked if they're, you know, a, a six seed or a seven seed? No. And would I also be shocked if, you know, they're a nine seed in the play in? Not at all. So I do think that that with the summer, they made the moves that were in front of them to make and mm -hmm. getting Jeremy Grant, I think, is going to be a big help to them. Getting Gary Payton, too, is going to be a big help to them. I think that there is such a craving from the fan base to see Damian Lillard back and mm -hmm. way more than 27 wins that in some ways it's going to be like if, if they gave, if the NBA gave out the most improved award to a team, the Blazers might be that this year, you know? And, and so I think that's going to be fun for the fan base. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. Just that there is a thirst to see the Blazers be competitive and to put, put a winning team around Damian Lillard, which I think they've done. I mean, you know, not necessarily like not, 
you know, not top three in the West, probably not winning multiple playoff series, but to take a meaningful step forward. And, you know, also, I think that the way the roster is built, they have some flexibility where they have guys who are going to have trade value and are going to help them be able to sort of, you know, continue to mold this roster before before it becomes too late. So I think that there is some uh, some potential here. Um, but we get into all this in our conversation that you and I had with 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 Brooke. Um, who was kind enough to join us? Uh, she was, you know, fresh off the bus from uh, from training camp in Santa Barbara. She, uh, great weather in Santa Barbara, of course, right as it turns to fall in Portland. So, um, Brooke Olsendam was kind enough to join us, and here's that interview. Well, Brooke, welcome to Sports by Northwest. You're joining us from Santa Barbara, which is not Portland. It's not where you've spent most uh, training camps uh, with the Trailblazers. Can we just start there? Like, how is how is Santa Barbara yeah. and, and how are you spending your time o- away from the gym? Uh, it's beautiful. I've been to Santa Barbara a few times. It's been a minute, though. So I was kind of thrilled when I heard that we were coming here because it's something different, something we haven't done, at least in the time that I've been with the team. It's always been at the practice facility in Tualatin, which is funny. Uh, today, I, I talked to a couple of the guys about it and everyone's real excited. And yeah, it's fun to be here. You know, all kind of doing this together on even playing field. And Nurk was like, oh, I wish we were back in Tualatin. <laughs> I was like, Nurk, you're in Santa Barbara. Enjoy it. But I loved what Chauncey had to say about it. It's like he's, there's always a bonding kind of feel, especially on road trips. So why not make this week kind of one of those bonding type feel atmospheres? And so everyone's here. The sun's out. It's gorgeous. I mean, Santa Barbara, you can't really beat it. They've been having very long practices, training camps, which makes sense. Obviously, some, some teams do two days. They're going like three plus hours every day. But today they got in a ton of scrimmaging at the end, more so than what I hear yesterday. Some of us broadcasters didn't land until last, last night, so we didn't get the chance to see training camp yesterday. But today they look great. They look like they're in shape. Nurk says he feels fantastic coming off of, you know, Euro basket. So everyone seems to be really enjoying this. And, the, and Chauncey's like, this is just something that I remember when we did back when I was playing, I, I felt like it really kind of gave us a leg up in terms of friendships and relationships. Everyone's kind of in, in it together when you're on the road. So I'm loving it so far. The pool, And then tomorrow there's an off day, if you can believe it. So they're going to go have like pool, a pool workout. So I will have myself have a pool workout for about six, seven hours. So, I mean, you like you, you said, you know, this bonding opportunity, and this is a team that is really new across across the board. You know, you obviously have the the obvious new players, but even some of the, the, the more familiar faces, you know, Anthony Simons has never played the kind of role he's expected to have this year, especially, you know, it, as the starting two guard next to Damian Lillard. What What is your feel for this group early? What is the vibe of, of this group? And what have you been able to pick up? I, I know we're talking just a couple of days so far where you, you had time with players at media day and then and then down there but what is what is the vibe of this group been early on so good so great and i and i'm not just saying that even like again nurk nurk was one of the guys that talked to the media today so i have a lot of nurk quotes but he said it feels like we've known each other forever in like specifically jeremy grant who everyone's been so excited me included about having a guy like jeremy on the team fits in perfect nurk's like i feel like i've been i've played with him for years so this the vibe is <laughs> vibes are high as the kids say I think that's what they say but everyone just really likes each other and you can see that when you're watching the scrimmages you can tell you know the the friendships the relationships are are forming quickly and that also you know shows itself out on the floor but yeah vibes are, are great the young guys uh you know pick, pick like watching everything you know they're taking it all in and you got the vets you know in their ear talking and like Anthony you mentioned him He's beefed up a little bit, by the way. I asked him about it. It was he and Nurk that spoke. And he said, you know, he was uh, rehabbing. And so he didn't do a lot of cardio. He just just hit the weights hard. And I can, it's noticeable, especially, you know, I, I, a lot, all of us were talking, mm-hmm. Anthony, did he put on some muscle? And so, yeah, everyone just is feeling good. And everyone's happy to be back. You know, they got their off time in the summer. They traveled. They got to spend a lot of time with their family. But this is one of those seasons where, you know, everyone's healthy so far, knock on wood. Uh, Gary, Gary Payton, he'll be back pretty soon, but he's not participating uh, in training camp yet. But yeah, at the f- vibes are good. It was it's, it was fun to watch that practice. I mean, it was three and a half hours and we all just were ear to ear, just watching it, taking it all in. And they were loving it out there and the coaching staff too. They're pumped. So you said uh, before we before we started recording that that this is the most excited you've been for a season mm-hmm. um, since you've been with the team, and I would love to hear why. What is it about about this group and this and this and this mm-hmm. season? Obviously. You know, I know we're coming out of COVID. There's been a lot missed. I mean, in a way, we're coming out of COVID, but reporters are going to be back in the locker room, kind of a lot of of return to normalcy. But what is it for you that makes this uh, such an exciting year? Well, I was spoiled, I'll be honest. You know, this is my seventh season with the team. 
first five in my tenure, it made it to the playoffs, you know, Western Conference Finals at one point. And so just winning is all that I've known covering this team. So last year, of course, when Dame got his surgery in the middle of the season, which I'm so, everyone is so glad he did. At the time, it was like, oh, what? No, Dame, this is crazy. Like, but he's, that thing had been bothering mm-hmm. him for years. And if you think back, think about many times you'd see him like with his hand on his side, you know, like stretching it out after like, every other play. So the fact that Damien is back healthy, feeling the best he's ever felt, that just right there alone gets me so jacked to see Dame, who you know has had a lot of rest and is feeling great, having him back, mm-hmm. feeling 100%, and like he said, better than he's ever felt. I just can't wait to see that. I think it's going to be a, an amazing season for him. And then Nurk's looking good. You know, he's coming off the Eurobasket and he's playing great defense. Defensively, like he always has, but he's really working on finishing better around the rim. Anthony, a whole new Anthony. We saw it last year, him just evolve under this coaching staff. He's he's said to me many times that they they kind of put, not pressure, but they put their responsibility on him with Dame being out like, this is your team. Uh, you got to be a little bit more vocal and you got to lead these guys. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Dame play along side Anthony because of all the steps we saw Anthony take last year, not only on the floor, but just as a vocal leader, which was asked of him. So to see those two out there playing together, I mean, I, I'm just so, so pumped. And I will also add that I'm not taking full credit for it, but I do believe I put into the universe that the Blazers would get Jeremy Grant. I've been wanting him for years. I'm like, he would just be the perfect fit. And I can't tell you how many people texted me as soon as the news came out that, you know, he signed with us. Like, you, you've been wanting this for years. I was like, tell me about it. I'm so excited. And I told him that at media day, I go, you don't owe me like 5% of your contract or anything, but it's kind of like because of me that you're here, <laughs> I manifested you here. But he's been great. And watching, I mean, watching him play on other teams, you know, I've always appreciated his game. And like I said, just a perfect fit with, with this group. And then some of the young guys like Shaden Sharp, I'm just blown away by him so far. And in just a couple of days, I've, I've watched him. He is just a freak of nature. I mean, th- such an athlete. And, you know, it's kind of like the excitement of the unknown because we haven't seen him play and no one has for, our, you know, for a long time. So the upside there, it's just one of those those things where, you're, you know, coming off a rough season where these young guys are out there doing the best they could. The cards are, st- you know, stacked against them. It, you know, but I get, give a ton of credit to, you know, Greg Brown, Trendon, all the guys that were out there and playing, you know, great basketball, just trying to get better, even though they're down 30, you know, that was rough. So this year, everyone back and healthy. What I've seen in training camp so far, I'm very pleased with, but I can't wait to see it out there on the floor playing against other teams. I just, this is the year. I just feel it. (laughs) Okay. So more on the contrast between last season and the upcoming season, they won 27 games last year. Mm -hmm. How many games is it going to be into this season by the time they are at 27 wins? It's got to be way fewer, right? So what's your testament there? I would say 27 and 13. So I'm going to go, yeah, 40 games in. I like, doesn't 27 and 13 sound it's, it's good? A, it, it's a round number. So you, so let's see, I'd, I'd have to look at the schedule to see when 40 <laughs> games is. But I mean, you're essentially at the midway point of the season. And if the Blazers are 27 mm-hmm. and 13, 40 games in, you know, I've got to think that they're like third in the West at that point. Which I know sounds crazy. The West is obviously And the Blazers stacked, early schedule is brutal. It, it is. It is. We always get a brutal early schedule. I swear it. But you know what, though? Uh, also a team known to turn it up after All-Star break, you know, led mm-hmm. by Dame. There always seems to be another step they take after All-Star. But yeah, I think, yeah, in terms of the contrast from last season to this season, I think it's going to be vast. I think that they're so excited to be out there playing. A lot of these guys, you know, Josh Hart didn't play the last few games. All these guys are like mm-hmm. just itching, itching to get out there and they all like each other, like I mentioned earlier. So the chemistry is already there and it's only going to get better with every game. Coaching staffing, Chauncey finally get a chance to really show what they've been implementing uh, fully, which is obviously they want to be a, a better defensive team. And watching training camp so far this this week, it really they're really communicating well. And Nurk said today, I feel like we're, we're kind of on our way to taking a turn and becoming a much better defensive team. So yeah, it's one of those those seasons that just these guys have been thinking about all summer mm-hmm. long. Like we can't wait to get back out there, be healthy, and show what they they can do. And led by Dame, you just never know it. You know, that team's they're going to be fun to watch. But I also think they're going to be really good. It's it's interesting because they've been so. I mean, just to be honest, they've just been so bad defensively for for years, and it was you know kind of this this unsolvable conundrum. You know, previous under Terry Stotts, and you know, obviously Chauncey didn't have a full deck last year. 
Um, mm-hmm. And they've so aggressively addressed that in, you know, with the series of moves. When you talk Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, who you know was a great defender um, in in Denver and Oklahoma City, and then and then Gary Payton the second, and then you know Justice Winslow's yeah. there, and it's just this whole identity. You know, it has almost like a like a Memphis grit and grind, like sort of, sort mm-hmm. of like vibe or tenacity. Um, you yeah. know how how do you kind of see that playing out? And and you know what is the the energy kind of defensively with this team and, and like how much of a, I don't know, calling card do you see that being for this Blazers team? Well, I tell, I'll tell you this is going to be much improved than what you've seen. And Nurk said it today that this, that's what they are. Fo- that's what they want to focus on. You know, they, they have great weapons offensively. We know that, but communication will be key. Discipline will be key. And, you know, coach, coach Chauncey Billups, who we all know was an amazing defender. And that Lindsay mm-hmm. has said many times, very vocal. We need to get better defensively. And he said, if if they're not if guys aren't performing on the defensive end, that's I'm not going to play them. Like I'm not going to play them. And if you hear that right away as a player, you automatically say, well, I better get better defensively. And you know, Dame has talked about they are holding each other accountable for that, which is a, which is huge. But also the coaching staff, like I just mentioned, is holding them accountable. If you want to see more minutes, you, I need to see improvement defensively. But yes, getting guys like Jeremy Grant. And GP2 and guys that just love defense. Coach Phillips loves guys who love defense. And then if you see, I think there's something to be said about playing alongside really great defensive players where you kind of have to follow suit, right? I mean, if this goes over here, you know, lockdown defense, you, you got to you gotta do the same. You have to have that same amount of effort. So I think that they will hold each other accountable. And I think that, you know, Chauncey will accept nothing less than a better defensive team. Like I said, or you won't be out on the floor. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's, you know, it's it's a fun, it's a fun spark, right? Like when you see I, today at practice, Jeremy Grant had the most, hopefully it'll be on Twitter. It has to be on Trailblazers uh, Twitter, but he had this amazing block. It was at the whole gym was like, oh, and then he turned around, pushed all the way coast to coast, finished. And I'm like, that's beautiful basketball. And that's so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more plays like that. There was a big story for a hot second in the summer when it was first reported that the Blazers were considering not traveling, you know, you and and Kevin Calabro and Lamar Hurd, you know, the broadcasters who fans, you know, feel such a connection to and having you guys, you know, broadcast games from home. And that was pretty quickly reversed after some public sentiment. And I, I weighed in and made my feelings as somebody who's traveled in the NBA and covered the league for a long time uh, known. And, you know, without getting into the back and forth of like how that happened and 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 why, I, I do, though, want to hear your perspective on what you what the value of being there is. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, media is changing and you, you do see more remote broadcasts in different sports from time to time. What as a reporter and especially as a sideline reporter, you spend so much time around these guys. You know, you are literally, you know, you're next to the bench for a lot of the game. What um, mm-hmm. what is the, the real benefit of being of, of just being there and being and being at all 82 games? Huge benefit. And by the way, I appreciate your article so much. Um, you nailed it. But it's just to be around the guys and the coaching staff, especially the coaching staff is, you know, newer. And so I you want to be able to be around them long enough and to get that sense of trust. You want them to be able to feel like they can trust you as they should. And, you know, with Dame, it you know, took me about a year, you know, his first year or my first year when I was there. And ever since we've just had, you know, an amazing relationship where he knows that I would, you know, he can always trust me. And so that's really a big deal. And with these new guys on our team this year, there's something about being on the road where you guys are all in it together, right? You're all, you know, you're all doing it though. You're 12 days, you're away from your families. And there's something that really bonds you. And for me, that's how I, that's how I really get to know these guys by at, at shoot arounds or in the lobby. I try to usually, you know, tend to leave them alone in the lobby, but sometimes you're sit, sit, sitting there waiting for the bus and, you know, strike up a conversation, how are the kids, how's your family? And it's just really something very special about traveling all together. And then funny stuff that you wouldn't see unless you were there, you know, random stuff. And I will you know, give our uh, broadcast team a pat on the back last season towards the end. When, you know, down by 30, 40 at, at some points, there were funny stories that had happened on the road that we were able to fill mm-hmm. and entertain with that, you know, kind of take your mind off the deficit for a little bit. And and we just had fun with it. And some of our best broadcasts ended up being uh, towards the end of last season because we just, you know, had fun with it. But there's certain things that happen on the road that you you have to be there to see it and really ex- experience it. Like at one point last year, I don't know if you guys saw this game, but Kevin, we had Thanksgiving on the road, right? which we will again this year in New York. 
And they kind of, you know, they have a ballroom for everybody and it's really cool. You're, you know, player, you're in with the players, you're with, you know, the coaching staff, PR, broadcasting, everyone's having Thanksgiving dinner together. And I was sitting at a table with Kevin Calabro and Lamar came down for a little while. Kind of like, you know, you pick your time and everyone's kind of scattered. Some people, our, Trist, our shooter Tristan was there for, I think, five hours, but that's a whole <laughs> other story. But um, we were sitting there and, you know, having Thanksgiving dinner together and chatting with some of the players walking by. And the next day during our pregame show, Kevin and Lamar always throw to me and there's it's on a two box. So Kevin's like, and now down to the floor with Brickles and Dama. Yesterday, I've never seen a, a woman eat more in one sitting. <laughs> I was like, Kevin, <laughs> like live on air. We still talk about this to this that that to this day. But fun stuff like that, where it can you put it on air, you make the fans feel as though they're with you as close as as close as they could be to being on the road with the guys. That's really what's important for me. And then to be honest, like it's it's a technical thing. But when I was when we weren't traveling and the guys were in the bubble, I mean, I had five six inter post game interviews where. The guy accidentally put the wrong headset on, couldn't hear me, you know, so I'm like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Like technical things will go wrong when you're not traveling, when you're doing it remotely. So there's that aspect too. I felt bad. It was always Robert Covington. I swear <laughs> every single time. I'm like, not Robert Covington again. But those post-game interviews, I mean, the poor guys are down there on the floor, not really sure which camera mm-hmm. to look up to. They can hear me, but they don't They don't know where to look. And there's just not that, that connection mm-hmm. like, if you're standing right next to them. That's always going to be a better post-game interview than if you're not there. That's yeah. just, that, that's factual. But then it really comes down to the, the relationships you grow uh, by being on the road. And it's really important for our broadcast team too. I mean, like that story I just mentioned about Kevin. It's We love each other. We have the best time together already, but being on the road, you know, it's your family that's not your family. It's your road family. And we like each other so much, thank goodness, because that's a lot of games together on the road. But yeah, it's, there's so much value to it. And I'm so pleased that uh, we get to go back out and, and to see fans on the road too is always fun. So can't say a bad thing about it other than being away, you know, from your family for a little while. But you know, it's part of the gig. And then you, we have our summers off. So it's great. Happy to be back. Uh, if you go out to dinner with Calabro and Lamar, who pays? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kevin, probably. <laughs> we would all offer, but I'll just say, Kevin, you know what's funny, though? You, you get so attached to your uh, per diem. You know, you're like, I have this amount. And I find myself like, I don't need an appetizer, you know, because I got to make sure I'm fitting. It's weird. At home, I, I'll get like five. But when I'm on the road, I'm counting in my head how much per diem I have left because I do try to just use it for that. But I'd, Kevin has bought me a dinner or two on the road and it was very kind and gracious of him. So I think a conversation that ends up always happening among people who travel like in the NBA lifestyle, especially people who don't know each other all that well. And you and I qualify, although we've met, um, mm-hmm. is what is what is your favorite NBA city? What's your worst? What's your least favorite NBA city? And it's usually, you know, what are like, what is a top five NBA city? Is, is Toronto a top five NBA city? So Brooke Olsen Dam, I need to know your top five NBA cities. And I also want to know number 30. Okay. I will start with the good. Uh, Toronto by far is a lot of our favorite city. It's just Mm -hmm. like a beautiful, clean, lovely metropolitan. It's just cool. And there's so much culture, like I said, very clean for that big of a city and they have great food, great arts, uh, like I said, the culture is big. So I would say Toronto for sure. And this is, should I go in order or it can be any five? Or should, or should I go five? If, four, you three, have it, if you have an order, go for it. Okay. Toronto is number one for me. Number two is New York City because it's New York City. Mm-hmm. And I do love going to Brooklyn. One of our very, very good friends of the team in the broadcast, Kelly O'Coin, who plays Dalla Bill on Billions from the state of Oregon. Mm-hmm. He lives in Brooklyn with his wife. And so when he always comes to the Brooklyn game. So that's when we look forward to and we'll get a martini the night before. We kind of have this whole thing we always do. So Brooklyn's really cool, but I'm just going to go New York in general because we always stay yep. in the city. Yep. So now New York, number two. Number three, I'm going with San Francisco, even though it's, you know, it's changed for us over the years. We used to, you know, bus 45 minutes into Oakland. And I always thought that was kind of cool because I know all the backstories there, like Dame going when he was a kid and sneaking in with his mm-hmm. cousin to go watch Warriors games. And he was pretty devastated when they moved it into the city. Obviously, there are reasons, but he, uh, yeah, he's like, it's just Oakland. That's He just felt bad for, you know, his friends and family in Oakland and, and the, his whole community that they didn't have that there anymore. But San Francisco has always been one of my favorite cities in general. So I love going in there, walking the streets, uh, can get pretty cold, cold there. Uh, Chicago. I love mm-hmm. Chicago. One of my favorite American cities. And I will also add New Orleans because in my opinion, it has, it's almost like its own country. 
You know what I mean? Like nowhere else is like New Orleans other than New Orleans. And I'll go to the uh, listen to jazz in our hotel with their sideline reporter, Jen Hale, who's from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So we'll go listen to jazz. This guy's been playing in the same place forever. So I love that. Obviously, the food is fantastic, but it's just cool. Like a lot of people have a, like there's very strong feelings. Either you really dislike New Orleans or you love it. And Casey, our beat writer and me love it. And so that's got to be, that rounds out my top five. And I hope I'm not forgetting any. I will say, okay, so my number 30. Um, maybe it's because we, we've been there so many times and we were there during the playoffs and we kind of like got stuck. OKC is not my favorite. And they also, you know, the back, obviously, you guys, we all know the backstory, leaving Seattle to go to Oklahoma City. So there's just a you know, bad taste in my mouth to begin with. But being there, it's just for me, and sorry to anyone from Oklahoma City that's listening to this, everything's beige. It's like the beigest city I've ever been into in my life. Like you look around and everything's beige. <laughs> and, that's, and there's not a ton to do and there's not that great of food. So that's my answer. Sorry, OKC fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, David Locke, who is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Utah Jazz, used to say that um, Oklahoma City felt like a movie set during the day. Because there was no one there and it just felt like these like yeah. these these um you know facades and you just didn't see signs of life in downtown Oklahoma City. And I do think one of the things about like being on the road you know in the NBA or probably in sports or in other professions as well is mm-hmm. that you end up seeing one part of town or you end up True. mostly being downtown. And so like I have long said Houston is number 30. I dislike going to Houston. I think Houston is a very un pleasant place to go but mm-hmm. i know there are neighborhoods that i don't get out to the heights even the galleria you know if, I, if you stay downtown close to the toyota center you know it's a ghost town so right. I, I think you know also allowing that we don't necessarily see the best of every city because that's not necessarily where the best the nba team doesn't necessarily play where the best stuff happens right. but um i think that's a very very solid list uh i have a dark horse probably maybe not mm. a top five city but i always have memphis very high I love going oh, yeah. to Memphis because I eat so well. The culture is so great. Like go to the mm-hmm. go to the museums there. Uh, I went to Graceland one year, so that's that that would that would be uh, one of my dark horses too. Uh, one of so. my dark horses is San Antonio because I really enjoy yeah. the the River Walk. And I I went there when I was younger with my mom and my aunt and my cousin. And I'm like, this is really cool. I don't you don't see this very often. Smack dab in the middle of a a big city. So I kind of just think that's that's cool. You know, it's probably really touristy, but I don't know. I like what I like. So I just like walking up and down the the river walk and having you know you know glass of wine, having some dinner, and just kind of soaking all that in. I just kind of like it. But yeah, I agree with. So Lamar Hurd's from Houston, so. I won't oh, tell him shit. we talked about this. <laughs> no, he's he's an Oregonian at this point. Tell him that you listen to like the first 20 minutes of the conversation and then he just turn it off. No, he loves Oregon enough. So, I, but I agree with you there. Are, I feel bad even saying anything because there are some great spots in every city that mm-hmm. you're right. We don't get a chance to see. But for where we're staying, that vicinity, I would say, okay, see. Yeah. Um, so at, on media day, uh, where the non-team media was positioned, we had a little, we had a little table with some fruit and, you know, players would come up and talk for 15 minutes. And we didn't know we had fruit until Josh Hart sat down munching on some honeydew melon. It was like, this is some really good melon that you guys have. And we didn't even know. Um, I covered Josh when he was a rookie, when he came into the league and he was, mm-hmm. you know, he's always had this personality. He's always been a little bit goofy. He's always been the same kind of player that he is, um, he certainly has seemed to have taken the mantle of kind of the comic relief in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to say that he's not serious at all. That's not true. But who over your seven years have been those guys? Like who have been the guys who <laughs> are the most entertaining to spend time around? Well, it, I mean, hands down and I'm biased because we, but everyone w- would agree. I did a podcast with him, but Evan Turner is not just the funniest player I've ever covered, but like the funniest human I've ever met (laughs) overall, just the one liners, like just flew out of his mouth. And he's so, he was so stoic about it. You know, like you'd have to listen real closely and be like, oh, that was hilarious. But he's just, you know, even keeled and just, oh, he's just Evan Turner. So many weird things happened to him too in Portland with the semi falling into his truck or to his His pool, his yard. That was wild. And then I, there's a funny thing where I pulled over after a wreck to help this girl and he pulls over in his Rolls Royce and helps me the whole time. And we're just sitting there in his Rolls Royce while she's waiting for the ambulance. Weird stuff happened. Evan Turner, number one, I completely agree with you on Josh Hart. He was so funny on media day. Even like after we did our fun little games and stuff, he walked out and our crew was like, that was hilarious. I mean, I knew, I already knew he was funny, but like he was just in like a mood kind of, it sounds like he saw the same Mm -hmm. side, like a fun mood. And, but you're right. I mean, he can go from that to just a dog out there on the floor. I love how competitive he is on the floor. And that's why like this season, that's another one of those, not unknowns. We know he's very talented, but really get to see him 
play alongside a healthy Dame, healthy Nurk, Jeremy Grant. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing Josh Hart this season. I just love watching him play, and I love his – he's just constantly, like, on 100. <laughs> but yeah. he is really funny. Hassan Whiteside was hilarious. I say was, like, they're, they're not on our team anymore. <laughs> he's still hilarious, but – I mean, he had so many funny stories. His garbage cans got stolen. He would just say these things. I even said to him once, do you have a book where you have these lines that you're like, oh, I can't wait to use this because I don't know how you think of things like this so fast. And so he was just, he'd have me dying. And again, very stoic about it, but just was so funny. Uh, Who else is really funny? Nurk's really funny. Mm -hmm. Nurk's really funny. and he, he does laugh at himself. <laughs> he will laugh at along his own jokes. And I'm trying to think the funniest, funniest. When I was in Indiana, do you guys remember George Hill? Yes. He, of course. he is one of the funniest dudes I've ever covered. He's he is hilarious and just got a great personality. But number one's got to be E.T. And I'll throw in Hassan, number two. And Josh Hart's on, in the running. He's in the running. I can't wait to... I'll I'll report back and tell you how funny he's been this season at the end of it. (laughs) Brooke, do you have a bold prediction for the season? I mean, you you touched on a lot of the big storylines that people are excited about, but, you know, to put you on the spot and say, you know, something that you don't feel like a lot of fans will see coming. Is there something like that 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 you could offer up? I think, and people probably roll their eyes at me and they're like, okay, Brooke, whatever. But I really do think that Dame's going to be in the running legitimately, for MVP. I really feel that way. I feel in my my heart and my soul. I feel it all over. But he's just so he's so focused already, like laser focused, which he always is already. But that you think of him, how well he was able to play through that like debilitating injury. I mean, he was in such pain. I remember when he got that cortisone shot, he's like, oh, I, I didn't realize it was going to work so fast. He was so happy. I'm thinking, wait till he gets it actually like fixed, you know, and so many guys are not so many, but a number of guys around the league have had that same surgery. So uh, when he came back and, you know, he said to all of us the other day that this is the best he's ever felt. And there's been a few articles written about it. I really do feel like he's, he's, he's a guy that doesn't like missing a single game. I mean, he's, he's joked that he wishes we didn't have halftime because he hates that he has to leave the floor. It just takes up too much time. He wants to just finish the game. He like, he loves to play that much. So the fact that that was taken away from him, for a lot of the season and now he's back 100% and he wants to and he's talked so much about wanting to win a championship for this for the city and for this team and for him <laughs> that I think that we're going to see just Dame on a mission this year and I, so I would say I think definitely in the in contention top three for MVP. Brooke uh, before we let you go there are a couple of things that I wanted to touch on with you that are uh, you know a little more serious and also not necessarily you know blazer focused but you know, the biggest NBA story of the last, you know, I mean, in, in some ways of the year um, or more is the is the Celtics suspension of Ime Udoka, who's obviously from Portland for having a relationship uh, within the Celtics organization uh, that's been deemed improper. And, you know, you're not there. I don't expect you to weigh in on, on that situation directly. But one thing that happened out of that was a lot of like online sleuthing as when it was first reported that that he'd had a relationship with a with a woman who worked for the Celtics, a lot of online sleuthing about who that was, and mm-hmm. um, Amanda Flugrad, who is, I guess, in some ways, sort of kind of your peer with the Celtics, right? She does um, mm-hmm. s- their sidelines and, and hosting. Um, she was somebody who, I mean, I'll just read her statement real quickly. Sure. As a female of the Celtics organization, watching these last few days unfold has been heartbreaking. Seeing uninvolved people's names thrown around in the media, including mine, with such carelessness is disgusting. This is a step backwards for women in sports who have worked hard to prove themselves in an industry they deserve to be in. Mm-hmm. And when this whole thing happened, that was my almost my first thought was people are going to start thinking, who is it? And they're going to start theorizing and, you know, um, game theorying this very real thing. Um, as a woman in sports, what was your experience of seeing that unfold? I know you and Amanda are friends. Um, what has what has watching that situation from afar been like for you? And what is sort of your perspective on what Amanda said about this being a setback for women in sports? No, she's right. I remember when I read that, I was like, yeah, nailed it, girl. So it is tough because when that all came out, I thought of her and I thought of Abby Chin, who does, you know, a host as well, who I've known for both of those for 
those gals for a really long time and I would consider friends. And the fact that people were posting like just random names of women that work for the Celtics, it just I was like, come on, you guys. I mean, that's it's unacceptable. And you're, you're right. She's right. It, it was a step back because people automatically like start assuming things. And Amanda's worked very hard to get where she is, as has Abby. And most of us in this industry, you know, it's not easiest to break into, especially when you're a woman. So to get to where they are and then have to deal with that when they have nothing to do with any of it is frustrating. And I, I it's funny because not funny, but they're, they're the first two people I thought of when this came out about, oh, no, they're probably going to get reached out to. Their phones will be you know ringing off the hook and they are not they have no involvement whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's just unfortunate that because they're, you know, they're public facing, too. So fans, of course, jump up. Well, is it, is it her? Is it her? And it. They had to deal with that uh, that day and since you know all, all week long, and I and I reached out to Abby and and I and I will reach out to Amanda because I thought what she said was really poignant, and I bet she I'm sure that they were very frustrated and just said you know we're not involved. Why would you just assume as much just because we work for the team? And so it is unfair, and uh, I, I don't blame them for. For what I don't blame Amanda for what she said. I completely agree with all of it. And if I were in their shoes, I mean, I'd put myself in their shoes thinking if the other, if that had happened in my organization and people were posting, oh, maybe it's Brooke. I mean, like, how, how do you, you just like have to clear your name when you weren't even involved to begin with? It's just unfair to them. And and a lot of, a lot of other women in the organization whose names were you know, splattered all over social media. So yeah, it was really unfortunate. And I'm glad she said something. And I think she said it perfectly. Yeah, I was, I was really taken aback when there were reports about individual women not being involved. We were at a point where, you know, you know, credible NBA reporters had to say, you know, employee X is not involved in this. It's just like as uh. the Twitter society has gotten, if we can call it a society, it's certainly not a polite society, has gotten too has gone too far. If we're at that point where we now need to start ruling out people because of the, of what the mob has has kind of taken upon itself. Mm. So um, uh, thank you for that. I was curious mm-hmm. and I appreciate your, your perspective on that. Um, another thing um, that I know is really important to you and I, I, want, to, I want to touch on because it's such a big part of your story um, is your involvement in, you know, fundraising for, you know, Heart Health, the American, uh, the, Amer- the American Heart Association. I assume people know your story by now, but if not, would you mind kind of sharing kind of how you came to be such a fierce advocate for heart health and, and kind of where your efforts are today? Sure. Thanks for uh, asking me about it. Anytime I can talk talk about the Heart Association or just heart health in general, I am I look forward to it. So, uh, yeah, my my husband Andy Collins, who for a little while uh, played at football at University of Oregon, transferred to Occidental. I had actually met him down in LA, and we ended up being growing up like he grew up in Zilla, Washington. I grew up in Spokane, really close. So it was just kind of just an interesting. Like, it was meant to be. So he uh, was an athlete. He was trying to make it in the NFL at the point that we were dating and got married. And he was in tip top shape, you know, ran, ran every day, was, I mean, epitome of, of a healthy person. And we were on our honeymoon in Florida and he had a heart attack on the uh, treadmill in our hotel and we had, and he died. We passed away. We had no idea that he even had any heart issues that they didn't run in the family is one of those things where, you know, looking back, you know, they, they said, okay, well, he had a Carter artery, which meant that he was putting in like nine out of 10 times as much effort into running or as you or I would as the average person. And so I, when I got really comfortable in Portland with the organization and I, you know, tr- really trust, you know, the Blazers and the people that I work alongside, it's like, I really want to do something and I know that the Blazers will have my back and this is the place I want to do it. And so they were, they've been wonderful. And so I, we started my foundation, which is called Brooke Hearts Your Heart. And every February, which is Heart Month, we raise money and it's been, we make sure we're posting things on our uh, trailblazers.com slash heart website about heart health. And every year has kind of been like a different focus. Like the first year was t- talking about making sure we could get as many AEDs in places in schools, I mean, everywhere. If you can find a place that needs one, let's let's try to get one in there. So that was kind of the focus. And then second year was a lot about listening to your body because like I just mentioned, Andy, who now that we think back upon it, you know, so tired after going on these runs, but I mean, he was in the great, he was in such great shape. And now I think back, you know, he was, now we know, like I wish we, I had known more about heart health and, and looking for signs 
back then. I mean, I do now, but at the time, and we it wasn't anything that ran in his family. We didn't know to look for it. We just, he just always, we thought he just hated running. When she would tell you, he did. But also, he was dealing with putting so much energy, extra energy than the average person that was poor heart, you know. So now that we we have this platform, we want to tell people, you know, last, so like I said, year two was listening to your body and then also paying attention to your friends and family in a sit like that might be in a situation like the one I just explained with Andy. And I'll tell you guys, it was crazy. So a gal I went to college with, she, uh, she called me, she goes, my sister, my sister's really, you know, reserved. She's, you know, she just kind of chills, but so she didn't, she wanted me to talk to you, but she, you know, she, sorry, she didn't reach out, but she's kind of, I'm like, so what's, what's going on? She goes, well, I saw your video with Lamar talking about listening, you know, to your, your heart and just kind of looking for signs. And she's like, and it made me think my sister who runs her own fitness studio, I mean, great shape calls her and she goes, watch this video. I just, I don't know. It made me think of you and I, I just do it for me. And she's like, okay. So she watched it and heard what I had to say about, you know, looking back to when Andy was, you know, how listening to signs, looking for signs and she watched it and she, she went to the heart, the heart specialists like the next day. And they said, uh, you need to have uh, heart surgery within the next week. Like, so, I mean, we saved a life with just that story in general. I mean, I started crying. It's like, you've got to be kidding. She's like, no, she, I, she went in and got checked and they said, yeah, we, we need to, you know, there's some issues we got, we got to get in there. And so she had surgery right away, like emergency heart surgery. And I've heard, had a tough ton of people tell me they've changed their, you know, some lifestyle things with the way they eat or just making sure they're getting out and walking more. And we've raised a ton of money that goes to the American Heart Association. So this has been one of the most like gratifying experiences of my life is being able to turn that into, you know, something positive. And Andy would have loved it. You know, he would have thought this is exactly what you, sh you should be doing. And our wonderful Portland Trailblazers are just the most supportive and they match every year when we get up to $5,000 raised, they match it, which we have done every year. So yeah, we got made almost uh, raised almost $28,000 last just last year so it's just been amazing and our fans are fantastic and this year i got to do a scarf which they sold out in like two days and all, all of the donations go to that or everything that when you buy your scarf all the proceeds i should say go to that so it's been uh wonderful and i feel like we've we've really you know, we've raised a lot of money but we've really improved some people's lives too well thank you so much for sharing that brooke and like you, you know like you said the opportunity to turn a, a tragedy into something you know that is going to change and, and save other people's lives, I think is, is really inspiring. And so, um, good on you for, for that and that continued, uh, commitment to, to that cause before we, uh, do sign off and let you go back to your current <laughs> glorious Santa Barbara, uh, <laughs> lifestyle. Um, I, I, I see the sun beaming in through your side window, whereas Sorry, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gray day here. It's the first, it's the first rain of, of the fall. I heard so it was raining back home. <laughs> it is. It, we are slightly envious up here, although I guess it's been, it's been a pretty good run of sunshine, so I can't complain too much. Um, True. uh, so you gave us your bold prediction for the season. Uh, I just have to go back. You said you think this is the year. Does that mean? Does that mean the the year, or it's like it's a this is going to be a good year? Where are you at? I think it's going to be a very good year. I the only I, I, the reason I hold back a little bit by saying like rather than saying the Blazers going to win a, a title is as we talked earlier too. The West is just so talented. Mm -hmm. They're just so stacked, which. Uh, it's, there's just gonna be a lot of teams vying for, you know, a top spot and they'll all be very good teams and some will just, unfortunately, you know, not even make the playoffs, but I just have this feeling that everything's going to come together last year. It started putting the pieces into play and then obviously struck by the injury bug this year, really improved the roster and guys that weren't able to play because of injury are back. And when you have, a, like I said, a Damian Lillard, I mean, that guy can just take over a game at any point. So I have high hopes. I really, I, I feel good that Chauncey and his crew will actually get to, you know, show what they've they're, what they've been envisioning with this team. Last year was just, you know, not, it was like, I have, I hate to say it, but it's like a one-off. They didn't get to right. do that. So this year, there's just so many factors that go into it with, like I said, healthy Dame, healthy team. The coaching staff focusing on defense, the guys, you know, picking up on that and yes, like dedicating themselves to becoming better defensively. You got young guys, Anthony, that showed us what he's capable of last year. And now he's going to play alongside Dame. There's just so many factors that I, I just have, I feel really positive about it. I feel really like, okay, this, this feels like the year. And although I, that does come across as me saying they're going to win the championship, I, I would love it. I don't know if 
with all the talent on West, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So I, I, I don't want to put a, I don't want to put us into, I don't want to say they're going to win the championship. I just feel like it's, it's very plausible. It's plausible. It's a possibility. And I, I mean, I, I would, wouldn't maybe have thought that in a couple of years, a couple years ago around that time. I'm like, oh, I still have a lot of pieces they need. Got to improve defensively. But all these things that they wanted to address, they have and they've improved. And there's just a feeling around. I, I, I can't explain it really. It's just this feeling around this group that they they feel pretty positive and they're so amped to get out there and just start the season. There's something about the feeling that I have when I'm watching them and talking to them after and the coaching staff just they're so excited too. They're able to like say, this is what we wanted to see. You know, now we get a chance to actually put this into play. So I feel like really good about it. <laughs> it's so funny because it is so easy to also like buy into a team when you spend time around them. Like, and I, I don't, I don't mean to throw cold water on, on what you're saying at all. Because no, I, I, know, I, I know. I'm actually kind of with you. Like, I like this roster. I think this roster is going to take a step. I think they're like a player away, like a, like a frontline starter away. But I also think that, the roster is built in a way that they're going to have the flexibility to make that kind of move, you know, in the next 18 months. So I, I do see there sort of being, you know, a step on the court this year and then kind of organizationally, I think that there's like the flexibility where they could do it. But it's funny. I remember like one year in LA, Mark Spears, who uh, is at ESPN, came to a Lakers mm-hmm. training camp practice. You know, Kobe's out there, Nash is out there, Nick Young, Robert Sacre, I don't know who else. And yeah. and Mark is like, and Mark goes, you know, this team, you know, they're not going to be trash. Like, you know, they may not, they're not going to win the championship, but they're not trash. Team won 21 games. So, like, <laughs> so you, you just never know. Um, Brooke Olsendam, thank you so much for taking this time out of your beautiful sunny day. Um you, you can thank us later for not bringing up the Washington State loss to the oh, Ducks God. on Saturday. That saw you tweet. Terrible. Saw your tweet about that, but you're a good sport in in Duck Country. Um, I know. So uh, you have to be. <laughs> well, you guys uh, played great. That I mean, 21 points, right? And like, I think it's 29 points, points in the fourth quarter, right? So uh, in a very short amount of time. Um, but I just watched. I was like, I said to my dad, my my dad was watching with me. I go. I'd, like we were even when we were up in the first half, I go, we're gonna lose this game. It's gonna be, it's gonna be heartbreaking. We're gonna lose. He's like, Brooke, come on. I was like, I just know it. I just know it. And then I mean, those things started happening. Bam, bam, bam. He's like, oh, you're right. I was like, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. <laughs> that one was hard. It was still hard though. That because they because I I was really rooting for our our, our our new quarterback who was looking great, and I felt bad for him that that's the way it ended. But. Congratulations to the Ducks, and yeah, maybe next year we'll, t- we'll reconvene it next year after. How about we do the podcast every uh, after every uh, Oregon uh, Wazoo time? I was going to say we. Other. I was going to say we could have you on after the uh, Cougars game in Corvallis here in two weeks when they play Oregon State. But if you want to wait a year, that's fine too. <laughs> no, we don't have to do it yearly. We I'll come on more than that. But okay. Oregon State, I mean, they look good too. So, so that should be that won't be a walk in the park. Well, Brooke, thank you, thank you so much. Um, you know. Thanks for all you do. Um, you know, on, before you came on, our, our producer Andrew Thien, um, you know, did share you know just what a great uh, job you and your crew do keeping fans connected. And I think a lot of fans listening to this feel that way as well. So thank you for that, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. This was very fun. I appreciate it. And yes, we'll reconvene after the season at least to see if my bold predictions came to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Brooke Olsendam for joining us on Sports by Northwest. Get the conversation around the NBA season going here in Portland at the beginning of the Blazers season. Look forward to more conversations with her as the season goes along. And also Joel Odom, sports editor at the Oregonian Oregon Live. Thanks to Joel for joining me today on Sports by Northwest. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the state of sports in our state and in the region. Uh, In the meantime, continue to read the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Subscribe to Sports by Northwest wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating. That helps us out a lot. And in the meantime, uh, we'll all keep the conversation going uh, on Twitter and elsewhere. So thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon.